0: Alright, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for fifteen dollars a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on Us. Mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: Upfront payment of forty-five dollars equivalent to fifteen dollars per month. Unlimited over forty gigabytes per month, face lower speeds. Videos at four eighty p. Active mint customers by five thirty-one twenty-four. Get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG It's not that it's not sad. I'm not trying to be like Paul Walker sucked and we shouldn't mourn his death, but really like one of the most mediocre actors of his time still getting tv tributes 26 months i don't get it the stream police podcast is brought to you by overdue want something more in depth than a sarcastic pretentious 140 character review of your favorite movie read long-form reviews of movies tv and music from the distant and recent past at overdue review.com Hello again, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, where we sift through all the crap out there in the media wasteland. All the things that are streaming now are in theaters, uh, in movies, in television, in music as well, and uh, we, we kind of sift them through your filter. We tell you what's worth checking out right here on the Stream Police every couple weeks on the World Wide Web. I'm Clint Davis, the movies and television editor over at OverdueReview.com, and also the co-host of this program, my, my co-host... Andy Sedlak, our music editor, will be checking in in just a little bit. Let's go ahead and get started. we got a lot to get to this uh, this week on the program. I'm going to go ahead and light my stogie of the week, get my closet smelling nice and good before I start the show here. Oh, yeah. Nothing better than a stogie, man. It's, it's incense that you can also smoke. Not bad at all to get the aroma started here in the closet. Uh, glad to be bringing you the show once again from my tiny closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, and as we get started here, just let me, let me, let me start with a question. I want to pose a question to all of you out there. I know you're all smart. I know you're all media savvy. You're listening to this show for a reason because you love this stuff like Andy and I do. Here's my question. Why are we still getting public tributes to Paul Walker at every award show on television in 2016? Can somebody please answer me this question? Vin Diesel, all right, Vin, Vincent Venice Diesel gave another heartfelt tribute to Paul Walker, his actor friend, at the People's Choice Awards on January 6th, 2016, all right? He could have given this tribute on January 6th, 2014, is how long ago Paul Walker died. Do you realize it's been 26 months since he was killed in a car crash that he, according to investigators, was the cause of? He caused the crash. He basically killed himself by driving like he was a character in one of the movies that he played in. He broke that cardinal rule that you're not, you're not actually—this isn't really you. You're not a race car driver. You're an actor— who dresses up, puts makeup on, and plays a race car driver, and gets paid handsomely to do it? So, drive slowly, and it's better to get a minivan when you are an actor. Just ask James Dean about that. But Paul Walker is still getting tributes on TV twenty-six months after he died. You, you remember when Robin Williams died? No, seriously, do you remember when he died? Because it's been that long ago since Robin Williams died, and he's one of the greatest actors of all time. But we don't even we don't we didn't get tributes to Robin Williams. Except for maybe like six months after he was dead, we were getting tributes. That's it. It ended there. The moratorium on tributes to someone who dies is like six months after they're dead, and then you can't do it anymore because it's like old news at that point. It's not that it's not sad. I'm not trying to be like Paul Walker sucked and we shouldn't mourn his death, but really? Like one of the most mediocre actors of his time still getting TV tributes, 26 months? I don't get it. All right, anyways. Anyways. I mentioned last time on the show, and I've mentioned in the past few shows, that I'm, I was the last man in America to have not seen Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, I've broken it, and I have seen Star Wars The Force Awakens, friends. My verdict on the movie it was f- awesome. <laughs> directing the movie. We had JJ Abrams. The screenplay was written by the great Lawrence Kasdan, and I say the great Lawrence Kasdan is because he's the guy that really took Star Wars from something good that George Lucas created, and he created something very good. And Kasdan made it like more grown up and great with the Empire Strikes Back, all right? This is the guy that wrote The Big Chill back in the day. Uh, but he is so closely tied to the Star Wars movies, and the idea that J- Abrams was going to bring him back for this was a stroke of genius, and it proved to be great. Uh, screenplay was written by Kasdan, J.J. J. Abrams, and Michael Arndt. And you might be going, now, how the hell is Michael Arndt? Who is this? How the hell is he getting in at the writing table on the biggest movie of all time? Well, he wrote two little movies that are two of the greatest movies of the last 10 years in, in Hollywood, Little Miss Sunshine and Toy Story 3, both written... By Michael Arndt. Fantastic. So this guy has basically never missed in his entire career, and I'm going to say that he's continued his winning streak with Star Wars The Force Awakens. I'm telling you, I loved this film. If you go and check OverdueReview.com right now, I've got my top five of the year on the website. As we stand, it is in my top five of 2015. And as I said last time, it wouldn't be Overdue Review if I weren't still talking about my top 10 of 2015, like a full month into 2016. That's just how I roll, all right? But, you know, if having a good time is what going to the movies is all about, then this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. If it's, if it's purely about an entertainment, excitement, uh, smiling till your face feels like it's going to tear, um, you know, at the muscles in, in your cheeks, that's what Star Wars The Force Awakens did for me. Um, I, I had a blast watching this movie. I enjoyed really everything about it. And there's good reason why I enjoyed everything about it because, first off, it was, it was done with care. It was handled with care, as the great uh, Traveling Wilburys once said, by people who loved Star Wars, right? Abrams, big Star Wars fan. I'm guessing Michael Arndt's a huge Star Wars fan as well, because who isn't? It's one of those things that, like, saying you don't like Star Wars is like saying you don't like music, you know? I mean, it's like, who the hell doesn't like music, at least in some way? Who doesn't like Star Wars at this point in our world? So it was crafted by people who just love it, right? And and Lucas had kind of gotten—I think it was just— it was too much at a point because he created this behemoth and i think it was one of those things that outgrew its creator we've seen that happen before and this was certainly one of those one of those cases no disrespect to lucas but it was handled with with very much care and it was done very well by these guys and the movie was just it was just fun to watch, and it was interesting, and it was well done. It was well acted. It was better acted than probably any of the Star Wars movies have ever been. Let's face it, that's never been a strong suit of the Star Wars films. Uh, I mean, Mark Hamill, for as great a character as Luke Skywalker is, his performance as, in that part, he's such a weenie. He's such a whiny, annoying. He's just annoying in some parts, right? Even though he's awesome, he's, he's, he's pretty annoying in some parts. This movie was just well acted all the way through. I mean, they, they casted it so perfectly. And the new the new players showed up so strong. Daisy Ridley, um, who basically was picked out of a casting call. I mean, nobody had ever heard of her. She comes out and knocks it out of the park, instantly becomes one of the most interesting characters in the Star Wars universe, right, as Rey. Um, and John Boyega, as well, who played the uh, stormtrooper. His name is... Uh, his name is slipping out of my mind right at this exact moment, but he was fantastic, right? As the co-lead of the movie. So, it was just great. And Oscar Isaac, a great actor, comes in and plays a very interesting part as Poe, the uh, you know lead uh, rebel, you know fighter pilot. And it was it was cool, man. It was just cool to see all the, the actors back together, the old ones, and to see C three PO with Anthony Daniels. And you know it was and Adam Driver as Kylo Ren just nailed it. He was so evil and so dark, but you know sometimes you felt like maybe he was going to come back to the right side. And it was just it was just great. All right, I'm not going to give you any spoilers here because maybe you ha- still have not seen it. Maybe I wasn't actually the last man in America to have not seen Star Wars. But I-, I loved it, and it's got me re-energized for the entire franchise again. If you didn't come out of Star Wars The Force Awakens wanting to re-watch, especially episodes 4, 5, and 6 again, then you weren't watching the same movie as me. This film was, I heard it described as Star Wars Greatest Hits, and that's what it was the knock on Star Wars The Force Awakens would be that it was not original because basically everything they did in this film plot-wise has been done before. Everything that happened has been done in some way or another, from the the looks, the motifs, to the themes of the movie. Um, They've all been done before, just with different characters here and different genders, I guess, as well. But that did not make it a bad movie because these were great things about great movies that they happened to, you know, kind of rip off for the new one. Now, I want to see what they're going to do with episode 8 because if episode 8 ends up being a copy of The Empire Strikes Back, which it very well could be based on some of the things I've heard about it, that will be a disappointment for me. Even though I I love Empire Strikes Back dearly, I don't want to see a remake of it, all right? I don't want to just see a remake of the old trilogy. Let's get some new ideas in here and let's do some new things they've done they've done the reboot film they got everyone excited it grossed more than any movie in american box office history now let's see what you got now is the time where you really got to show up and make can, can you really make this a great franchise again or is it just a great movie but i love the force awakens couldn't recommend it more if you had if you liked star wars at all at any time in your life um, or hell, even if you didn't, go and watch this film and maybe you will consider yourself finally a Star Wars fan. Great film. Great fun. One of my favorite movies of 2015. I put it in my top ten. Chewy. we're home. All right, moving along here. We're f- firmly planted in the middle of... Award season for the movies and i love award season my wife and i we watch all the award shows from beginning to end we don't skip a minute i know for most of you that sounds like that sounds hellish uh but for us really this is like um this stuff is like the super bowl we we love it we um just we cannot get enough of these shows and we love making the picks against each other and going to see all the films and so so the oscar nominations came out and i'm gonna dub this year's oscars The race is on, all right? Pun firmly intended there. Because clearly the big thing about this year's Oscars, once again, it's the same headlines as last year. Where are all the non-white actors? Where are all the brown and black and yellow actors? Why is it all white people being nominated for Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress? What's that about? Now, I can't answer that question only to say that this it really it's a hollywood epidemic to not have more minorities in leading roles or in in roles that really mean something they can't you can't look at this year's crop of movies and say, "Well, there wasn't a standout movie that had black actors in it." First off, if you could say that, then that's even more sad. The fact that a whole year could go by, hundreds of movies being made by the major studios and not a single one of them had meaningful parts by black actors. First off, if that if that's the reason they're going to go with, then that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. But that wasn't the reason. Because I can just name off the top of my head some very good performances from black actors this year. Idris Elba, Beasts of No Nation, Samuel L. Jackson, The Hateful Eight, some of the best work of his career, which I'll get to in a little bit. Um, the, uh, basically, the whole cast of, of Straight Out of Compton got a lot of love. I loved the entire cast of Dope, and most of them were non-white actors uh, that I talked about earlier this year on this very program. So there have been plenty of them. Just That's me going off the top of my head, and there have been many more than that. It's not, a, it's not an issue of there are not enough performances, even though I still think there aren't. It's just that the people that vote on the Oscars are all old and white pretty much. There's thousands of people that vote for the Oscars, but re- or that are eligible to vote for the Oscars, I should say. There's like 8,000 people in the Academy, all right, if you don't know how this works. Tons of people in it. Most of them are white. That's for sure. Like 93 percent of them are white is what it says. But not everyone who is eligible to vote does vote. You have to have watched all the movies and, and it's it's a whole thing. You know, it's work to to vote for the Oscars. And it should be because it's a serious. It's a serious thing. It can have very serious repercussions on someone's career. Um, it, it's not a worthless little statue that they get. But the problem has been that the people that typically have the time to watch these movies and vote on them are people who aren't working anymore. They're old. They're retired. So they're not they're not young and they're not virile and they're not watching the movies that are really edgy and cutting. They're not the, not watching cutting edge movies. They're watching the safer ones. And they're liking the safer ones. I should say. So that's been a real problem with the Oscars. They've tried to change that in recent years, but it hasn't really changed yet. The Emmys went a similar route, and I think the Emmys have done the right thing in the way they've changed their voting. So uh, who knows what they're going to do. I, I think one thing the Oscars needs to do is that they need to lift the cap on awards, uh, on nominations for acting, uh, for actors and actresses. I just think that is a played out. Why do we need to have five nominees? There's so many. There's so much more than five good performances every year from leading men, leading women. Um, that we should—really, there should be not a cap on that. I mean, if if they want to have 25 nominees, do 25 freaking nominees. Only one's going to win, as always. It doesn't matter how many nominees you have. Cap it at 10 or something, and I I think that would still be not enough. But if they want to do that, I I think that would probably get more minorities put into the race. So here's—I'm going to just say this about the Oscar nominations as well. I've seen every nominee for Best Picture. This is me venting now. My wife and I, before the nominations came out, had already seen every nominee for Best Picture. And I've talked about all of them with you here on the Stream Police podcast. If you want to go back and listen to my reviews of all of them, you can also go to our SoundCloud page and find that. The only one I have not seen is The Revenant. So this pisses me off because it makes me seem like a slacker, right? Because this is the one that won at the Golden Globes. I thought for sure Spotlight was going to have it. But The Revenant comes out, wins at the Golden Globes. I walk into the office the next day and my boss, who's one of our big listeners here, goes, first thing she says, did you see The Revenant? And I'm like, no, I haven't seen The Revenant. I've seen, But I've seen 35 other movies, all right, that were really good this year, but I haven't seen that damn one. Why is that the one you have to ask me about? So it makes me look like a slacker on my amateur job here as a, as a film critic and as your purveyor through the media wasteland on the Stream Police podcast, all right, as your chief of police here on the Stream Police. It makes me look incompetent because I have not seen the Revenant yet but I'm going to see it by the next time we have a show and I will talk to you about it and tell you whether or not I believe it should win best picture as it stands right now I'm still sticking with Spotlight it's one of the best movies I've ever seen it was perfect all the way through and to me what how can you give something how can you give best picture to anything but a perfect film all right final thing on the Oscar nominations Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith have come out and boycotted the Oscars this year. They want Chris Rock to boycott it because of the, the lack of diversity among the nominees, uh, which is an understatement. It's just the, the fact that all the nominees are all white. The fact that these two are the ones leading the charge makes it sound a little bit like sour grapes, right? Because Will Smith, he had one of the strong performances this year. He did in Concussion. He had a performance that a lot of people felt like should have been nominated for an Academy Award he didn't get nominated. So his wife comes out and says she's she's boycotting the Oscars. He follows and says he is as well. It sounds a little hollow, right, when they're personally affected by it. Now they both said that it's not sour grapes, and I I think I believe Will more than I believe Jada on that because Will's let's Will Smith. Let's talk about him for a minute. Now, I know Andy's talked about him before on the show. This guy has succeeded in more aspects of life than any of us have ever tried to even get into. All right, He has succeeded in every walk of life that he has tried to. If he tried out for the NBA when he was like 20 years old, I bet he would have been drafted in the first round just because Will Smith does not lose at anything. He really does not. He's been nominated for two Oscars before, so he's not like dying for an. I don't think Will Smith lies awake at night going, "Oh, how did I? I've never gotten that Oscar win. I, I my life is incomplete. I, I mean, I've got this beautiful family. I've sold billions of records. I've sold, I've sold billions of movie tickets. And but I just, I want to get that Oscar. That's all I'm, I'm waiting for here. I don't think he cares about that. But it still, it sounds to me like sour grapes when they're the two leading the charge. This, I think, the boycott the Oscars thing needed to come from some more respected actors in the black community who are not so close to it this year, like Halle Berry or Denzel Washington or Viola Davis or Sidney Poitier or, you know, just there are plenty of them that could have come out, Octavia Spencer, and said, boycott the Oscars this year. If you're a black actor, boycott the Oscars, don't go don't go next year we're not going to the oscars we're we're sending them a message that it would have meant a lot more i think if it come if it had come from one of those actors than coming from will and jada that's just that's what i want to say and you know but but really at the end of the day you want to know what it really takes to get an award in hollywood do you really want to know because denzel washington told you what it takes to get an award in hollywood he spelled it out Step by step during his speech for the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Golden Globes a couple weeks ago. If you didn't hear his speech, here is the one telltale part of Denzel's speech that tells you what it takes to get an award in Hollywood. Freddie Fields, who first, some of you may know Freddie Fields, he invited me to the first uh, Hollywood Foreign Press uh, luncheon. He said, They're going to watch the movie, we're going to feed them, they're going to come over, you're going to take pictures with everybody, you're going to hold the magazines, take the pictures and you're going to win the award. I won that year. He said it all right there. A Golden Globe can be bought, pure and simple. That's what he said. Only about 90 people vote for the Golden Globes, so they, can, they really can be bought. The Oscars, it's a much bigger group, but still, the politics, the campaigning, it's all very real, and there's a reason why... Um, certain actors and certain studios get Oscar nominations all the time because they are the most aggressive when it comes to the political aspect of Hollywood. And it is a major, it's a major thing. So it's disappointing, but it is very true uh, fact about awards in Hollywood. So don't put too much stock into them. It's hard for me to say that because I do put a lot of stock in Oscar winning actors and things like that. They're great performances. You can't win an Oscar without a good performance. You're not going to win one on a shitty performance. That's just the truth. But it's not the be-all, end-all. Just because somebody won an Oscar doesn't make them the best actor ever. And just because they didn't win one doesn't make them not a great actor, because that is certainly the case. All right, let's reach down into the old cliché glove box and shift gears here and start talking about uh, some television for you, Some something the, that is streaming right now on your little screen, whatever size screen is you happen to watch it on. A uh, show that right now is streaming on Amazon that I just finished not that long ago, the first season of it. And I loved it. It's a show called The Man in the High Castle, created by former X-Files scribe Frank Spotnitz, based on a novel by Philip K. Dick, the guy that did Blade Runner. And uh, This show stars Alexa Davalos. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. She's a French actress. She was in Clash of the Titans and The Mist. Also co-stars Rupert Evans, who's done a lot of work for the BBC. And, And a young American actor named Luke Kleintank, who is born actually in my native Cincinnati. He's done tons of TV. He's been on Parenthood, Gossip Girl, Bones. He's done some soap opera work. And now here he is on what I would consider one of the great shows of 2015, if not the best sh- new show of 2015. It's called The Man in the High Castle. It's on Amazon. This show, let me lay it out for you. This is going to sound like the most like depressing, darkest show of all time when I tell you the premise, but it is so well done and so interesting and so grown up. Like, this is serious television. This show is set in the 1950s, like late 1950s, early 1960s, in America— but it's after America has lost World War II, the Nazis won the war, they nuked Washington, D.C., took it over, and now America is run on the East Coast by the Nazis and on the West Coast by the Japanese. So America is dead. It's, it's gone. Um, it has now been split into two countries and run by, you know, two countries in the axis of evil there during World War II. So it's, it's a scary enough premise, right? And when I first heard the premise for it, I'm like, God, how is a show on Amazon— like I can see HBO pulling this off, but how is a show on Amazon? They're still pretty much a a new force in television. How are they going to be able to afford to make a show first off that is realistic looking? Because when you're creating a whole new world, you can't just go out and shoot this show on the streets of Chicago or on the streets of of, of Hollywood or on a back you know drop set. You have to really make this look. I have to believe. That the Nazis have taken over New York as their new home base and that, you know, the Japanese have overrun San Francisco uh, and are treating Americans like second-class citizens because basically they are. Uh, I have to be able to believe that. That's, you have to immerse me in that fully. And the production team on this show did such a fantastic job. This show looks so good. The world feels so convincing. It's frightening, actually, to, to think about it and to watch it, to imagine what could have been if this nightmare had happened. This show looks expensive as hell, but I'm sure it's not, right? I mean, there's no way that this show can be too too awfully expensive. I mean, Amazon doesn't have unlimited money to spend on, on TV shows, especially on a, a, a first season, you know, new a new show. So with a ton of unknown actors as the stars of it. But it looks really good. Whatever whatever budget they had they used it for all it was worth. What I love about this show is there is so much character development. There's so much mystery and there's so much intrigue that builds and builds through the entire first season. It was a, a 10 episode first season. Um, And I just I cannot wait to see where they're going to go in the second season because and then they ended the first season on this total like cliffhanger, crazy twist thing that really opens things up to make this show even more of a sci-fi show. As I said, it was created by Frank Spotnitz, who was a guy that worked heavily on The X-Files, one of my favorite shows. And obviously The X-Files was a a great exercise in sci-fi television. So, you know, it was all about the it it was all about the paranormal. So this show, you would think, would have to have some paranormal stuff in it, right? And it does. It does have a little bit of paranormal stuff in it. It's This show is basically like sci-fi meets historical fiction is really what it's like. But it's it's so mature, and it's just so well done, so interesting. The world just, as I said, it looks so realistic, so good. The acting is very well done, Um and it's just this cast of unknowns. I loved it. I loved every minute of The Man in the High Castle. I thought the villains were some of the best villains I've seen on TV in recent years. They were downright frightening. Both, like, the the head Nazi that you get to know is, like, this—he he ends up becoming this very complex character, but at first he's just freaking frightening. And then the head of the uh, Japanese special forces is equally as brutal as his Nazi counterpart. And there's all this tension between the two sides, and are they going to get into a war with each other? I don't know where they're going to go with this show, but it's really—it's got me so intrigued, and I just—I thought it was fantastic. So if you like historical fiction, and if you really like something that is just different, you know, like I said, set in a totally different world that is an alternate history of our own, you'll love The Man in the High Castle. It's just well-done TV and uh, something that—Amazon, is they're killing it, man. I mean, they crushed it at the Golden Globes. Uh, and and The Man in the Hi- High Castle, I think, is just another feather in the cap of this network that I believe is passing Netflix as really the most important original streaming television. I think Netflix is still going to be the most popular, most talked about, most tweeted about shows. But it seems like Amazon are doing like the more important shows, like the shows that are going to win Peabody's and things like that. And this this one is no exception. Man in the High Castle, I give it my highest Uh, my highest recommendation. It's now streaming on Amazon.
0: Did you see that? What? Mr. Hitler. He's got his right hand in his pocket. Do you know why? Uh, So he can play with his balls because nobody else will? He's got Parkinson's. His hands shake like shit. How much longer do you think he's got? I don't know. A year? Six months tops. Then Goebbels or Hamler takes over. Only this time, they don't just flatten DC with the H-bomb. They wipe out the whole West Coast.
1: Boom. Speaking of television shows with long titles, uh, let me talk real quick about American Horror Story Hotel, the fifth season of the American Horror Story franchise. It's the highest-rated TV show on the FX network now, uh, and the fifth season just wrapped since the last time we spoke. This show is created by Brad Falchuk and Ryan Murphy, and this season starred Lady Gaga, who won a Golden Globe for her performance, Um, Kathy Bates as well, Sarah Paulson, and Wes Bentley, all starring in the show, among many others. This season of the show, I talked about it a few episodes ago after I'd watched the first episode. I absolutely loved the, the first episode of this season. I thought it was Really interesting, really cool. I, I thought the music was great. It was very dark, sexy, um, and that was really the pace for the entire season. This was this was the sexiest season of American Horror Story that I've seen, and I also think it might have been the darkest season of American Horror Story yet. Some very very dark thematic stuff happening in this season. Very mature stuff. This would not be something to watch with the kids. At all. So much sex and death. If I could sum up American Horror Story Hotel in two words, it would be sex and death, right? But it's one of those shows. Where the deaths don't always mean much. So that kind of takes away from it. This is the way I always felt about shows like True Blood um, or really any paranormal shows. It's like when the characters die, it doesn't really mean anything because they can always come back to life or somebody can, you know, a vampire can like spit blood into their mouth or whatever the hell they do and bring them back. And, you know, it just it doesn't make the deaths mean so much. It's like when a character dies, you're like, well, they could always come back, right? So that, that's the way this one went. Basically, everyone who died in this hotel. It was in this hotel in California. Everyone that died in this hotel would be trapped in the hotel forever as a wandering spirit. But it really looked like pretty fun. It was like a cool thing. Like it made you want to die there. It was like dying there, honestly, was like way better than being alive, especially for these characters, because they were all just miserable as hell in their regular life. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a Just kind of a a very dark show, but it made death look like really cool and fun. Honestly, Um, so again, maybe not something you want to watch with your kids. Maybe not the message you want to spread to them, um, young in their lives. But you know, I, I just I think this show still has not done like that really important season that's going to make everyone feel like this is the greatest show ever. But the idea is interesting enough, and they have, I think. I think they always stretch the ideas kind of thin, but this season worked better for me than most of the seasons because they had a ton of characters, and they had they they kept jumping back and forth in time, um, and the costumes looked great, and the music sounded awesome, and the blood looked good, and it was just it was all just done really well. I loved the set, I loved the hotel, um, and that keeps the cost down. You know, when you basically you're doing like a uh, you're doing like a bottleneck for the entire season, you've got the entire season in one set, pretty much, uh, because the characters really can't leave this set. So it was interesting. It's like an entire season worth of one episode of The Twilight Zone. So again, it stretches a little bit thin. I wouldn't call the characters, you know, deep by any means, but There was some good acting in this season. Kathy Bates is always very good. Uh, Lady Gaga was really good in her part, but I don't think she should have won the Golden Globe. I think it's a shame that Felicity Huffman did not win for American Crime because what she did was woman's – that was woman's work. That was woman's acting, all right? That was not little girl's shit. That was real stuff that she did on American Crime. So uh, I, I feel like Felicity Huffman got robbed. Um, and Gaga was just picked because of you know the headlines, but Gaga was actually really good this season. I was impressed with her. But let me just give a special shout out to Dennis O'Hare, who has played some parts on uh, some other seasons of American Horror Story. I know he was in Freak Show. Um, And he was pretty good in that. He was evil and just, you you he was just sick in that show. But he was really the heart and soul, I would say, of American Horror Story Hotel. Very good. He played a a character named Liz Taylor and just just nailed it. I I really, I liked this character and I I liked his performance in it. And I, I think it was great work from somebody who's like a veteran character actor. But as I was watching American Horror Story Hotel, all I kept thinking about was Don Henley's great lyric in Hotel California, This could be heaven or this could be hell because you really couldn't tell because they were dead, but it looked kind of awesome. So I think it was more like heaven than hell, really, to be stuck in the Hotel Cortez, as it was called. That uh, American Horror Story Hotel is going to be available streaming on Netflix before too long, because all seasons go there, it might be available on Hulu right now. I am not 100% sure on that, but check it out. It was uh, it was worth watching, I think, um, if you liked the show and maybe you just didn't catch this season because maybe you thought Freak Show wasn't that good, which, honestly, Freak Show was not that good. This show was better. This season was better. This was kind of like a return to form, I felt like. I, I did enjoy it, but it was very dark, very gory, and... Very sexy, if you can combine all those things. All right, I'm going to toss things over to our music editor, Andy Sedlak. Let's hear what he's got cranking through the earbuds this week. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Uh, uh.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Yes, hello. My name is Andy Sedlak, and I am the music editor over at OverdueReview.com. And lately, I've been thinking a lot about something Billy Joel said a few years back. You know, in this line of work, the only thing sexier than a hit record is death. Yeah, let me play that again. The only thing sexier than a hit record is death. As you know, we lost David Bowie on January 10th. He was 69. Then, about a week later, we lost Glenn Frey. He was 67. These both came shortly after the death of Lemmy from Motorhead. He was 70. And keeping in mind with what Joel said, I want to focus on Bowie. Since David Bowie died... He scored his first ever number one album. Ironically, that record called Black Stars may be his least commercial release in 20 years. And I couldn't believe that David Bowie had never had a number one album. He's had number one singles, two of them I believe, but never a number one album. Not only that, but a David Bowie compilation. The Best of Bowie rose to number four on the Billboard album charts, the Billboard 200. No compilation of hits has charted that high since a Carrie Underwood Greatest Hits package released in 2014. And Bowie's songs are probably 30 years older than most of Underwoods. Again, keeping in mind with what Joel said, a total of 10, 10 David Bowie albums were on the Billboard album chart just last week. The last time a solo artist, I looked this up, the last time a solo artist had that many albums on the Billboard chart was Whitney Houston in 2012, and that was after her death. Again, think about Joel's words. The only thing sexier than a hit record is death. He is not wrong. But in looking at these numbers in these sales, my guess is that the old-timers who have been buying Bowie's albums for years are not the ones uh, suddenly shelling out more dough for his back catalog. I'm tempted to think, perhaps, that these are younger music fans. Although conventional wisdom will tell you that younger folks don't buy complete albums, I still hope that they are the ones fueling Bowie's resurgence in popularity. That is my hope. If they are, I'd recommend a deep cut from the 70s, unarguably his most noteworthy record, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars. The song is called Lady Stardust, and here it is. David Bowie's uh, music has always, gosh, always uh, meant a great deal to me. I I recently published a piece for Overdue uh, Review about just that. It's currently up right now. Uh, If you want to give that a, a read, it is called Last Thoughts on David Bowie. Bowie's resurgence in popularity has come to symbolize really kind of a, a particular moment here in rock history Glenn Fry's death was also a big deal but the Eagles really had never really gone anywhere in terms of um, in terms of uh, the American consciousness the Eagles uh, have always been popular whereas Bowie um, disappeared for a decade and again i just mentioned he had never had a number one album in spite of the trailblazing you know that had been done um but of the top five rock albums on the chart last week and this is interesting top five rock albums according to billboard last week three were from david bowie one was a beatles compilation from 16 years ago and the fifth was uh it was a Coldplay record Rock's popularity is looking backwards at the moment. And that's somewhat natural, I suppose, after the recent news that we've uh, been dealt. But Rolling Stone published a, a piece last week that I thought was very interesting and somber and introspective, and they summed up the moment very well by writing... That in the end, our heroes are passing away from the maladies that come from getting older. And that we're going to be saying farewell to an increasingly large number of them in what promises to be a solemn next few years. We mentioned Coldplay. Writer David Brown acknowledges that artists today are melding uh, rock with other genres, um, alternative influences, indie influences, EDM influences. There are production updates. There are hip-hop influences. Generational uh, differences all play into the newer uh, artist sound, and that is normal. That's as it should be, but saying goodbye... To an increasing number of artists that grew up in the 50s means that, yes, we are saying goodbye to the people themselves, but also to a particular approach to making music. Reading that stopped me in my tracks. Stop me in my tracks. Brown was absolutely right. We're not just saying goodbye to the people themselves, but also to a particular approach to making music. With this in mind, uh, I guess I've been listening a, a little bit more to classic rock lately, quote-unquote classic rock, and I guess I've been hearing it you know, a little differently. I dug up uh, the Eagles documentary came out a few years ago called History of the Eagles, and I, I, I took that in. I absorbed that. It's about three hours long, uh, but it's very good. It's streaming now on Netflix, and I recommend it. Glenn Fry is actually front and center. He's uh, the most interesting interview in the documentary.
1: A rock band is not a perfect democracy. It's more like a sports team. No one can do anything without the other guys. But everybody doesn't get to touch the ball
0: Joe Walsh is a close second. I was insecure always and afraid, so I hid behind all of my hangups with humor but it struck me uh while I was watching that generation of musicians, the majority in anyway probably never imagined careers having careers in music um. Look at the musicians that most of them idolized. Well, that'll be the day When you say goodbye, yes, will be the day Buddy Holly, dead at 22
1: <laughs>
0: Little Richard, didn't have a hit after 1960
1: You made me cry when you it,
0: goodbye,
1: that a shame?
0: Fats Domino didn't have a hit after 1962. Even Elvis took his lumps. He joined the Army, disappeared for a while. Most of the Motown groups didn't last long. When it comes uh, to the British invasion, it became clear that the Stones, the Who, the Kinks were the outliers because for every Kinks, you had three bands like this. But they don't seem to hear a word I say and I go to pieces and I want to hide. Go to pieces and I almost die every time my baby passes by. That was Peter and Gordon, who, in spite of their talent, uh, didn't have a hit after 1967. Musicians with careers were very unusual. But so many bands from the classic rock again it's it's a conventional term it's a term that is a little, you know, it's kind of dad like, you know, it reminds you of, you know, the old man with a beer. But 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 for our purposes we'll we'll call it the classic rock generation, okay? Um so many bands from that classic rock generation did that. They they forged careers And a number of them actually still routinely listed as among the highest grossing tours of the year. People don't like it when we get old and start aging. I guess it reminds them of their own inevitable decrepitude. You see, if we die young, we become icons. Unfortunately, we also become dead. (laughs) And while old age is not a glamorous prospect, it still beats st- the out of being fertilizer. That was Billy Joel again. On the money again. Those comments made it uh, while he was inducting John Mellencamp into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, by the way. Uh, and before you start thinking that this is just a totally somber podcast, know that underneath Joel's humor, there really is uh, reason for optimism. These people, these musicians, these writers... These entertainers are uh, walking monuments. (laughs) You know, there's no other way to state it. And yeah, looking at Bowie's death and Fry's death and Lemmy's death, life catches up and generations pass. But on the other hand... Listen to the list of musicians from that so-called classic rock generation that are slated for new releases in 2016. Or at least there's mass speculation. Elton John. Bruce Springsteen. U2. Radiohead. Perhaps Guns N' Roses. Mavis Staples. Let's Cherish these. Savor them and not take them for granted. Now here are five more songs to add to our evolving stream police playlist. They are all uh, recommendations from uh, musicians that we have lost recently. First up, this is my favorite David Bowie song uh, ever. The opening cut from Ziggy Stardust. It's a stunner. It is called Five Years. It was cold and it rained, so I felt like an actor and a thought of more. And I wanted to get back there. Your face, your race, the way that you talk. I kiss you, you're beautiful. I want you to walk. We got five years. Then from Glenn Fry, this is from his second solo record. You may know Smuggler's Blues, but my favorite on the album is called The All Nighter. And I think I actually I think I've maybe <laughs> I think I've maybe recommended that before. So let me give you another cut from that record, which I again I really really like. The album is called The All Nighter. Um, how about "Sexy Girl"? <laughs> yeah. uh, we go back to Bowie and uh, Golden Years. My
1: feet, lost my what you a Ooh,
0: <laughs> and finally, uh, we wrap up with um, Ace of Spades from Motorhead. That's it, friends. Thank you so much. I leave you with uh, the words of the great Kinky Friedman, who is rumored (laughs) to be recording new music as well. A genius is somebody who is ahead of their time and behind on their rent. See ya.
1: Thank you, Andy. Much appreciated, as always. Let me go ahead and relight my stogie here. Uh, uh. It's like Edward R. Murrow hosting the old uh, news shows back in the day there. Just the stogie burning here in the closet, talking to you, talking to you about movies and television. I'm Clint Davis from Overdue Review com here on the Stream Police Podcast. All right, let's get back to it. Let's go to the big screen now because, uh, as I said a couple shows ago, really talking heavily about movies now because I'm seeing so many of them every week. i got to get to them, and I'm going to go ahead and get to the cream of the crop of all the... I think since the last time we've talked, I've seen, I want to say, six movies that are currently in theaters, um, and I'm going to talk about two of them especially that I really liked and one that I was pretty much bored by. All right. First off, let me start with Quentin Tarantino's latest, The Hateful Eight, uh, starring Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Leigh, and Walton Goggins, among many, many others. This film was a blast. If you like dialogue and if you like character acting, check out The Hateful Eight. If you like stage drama especially, check out The Hateful Eight. Now, I've been a Quentin Tarantino fan since... A long time ago, since the fir- the first movie of his I ever saw was Jackie Brown, I saw it right after it came out on VHS at Blockbuster Video when I was a young kid. I rented it, and you know, thankfully my dad didn't really he didn't really care what I rented, and he let me watch whatever I wanted to. Do. So thankfully, because now it's led to me be, being here in the closet talking to myself and talking to you about these movies. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> the hateful eight I thought was really a kind of callback to the old Tarantino movies. This film was very much like Reservoir Dogs, a lot like Reservoir Dogs, but it had the look of Django Unchained because it was set in the uh, Old West, out in Wyoming, out in a cabin. The premise for The Hateful Eight is you've got this group of men, these hard-ass men, Trapped in a blizzard in a small one room cabin in Wyoming as a blizzard comes over them and it's going to last for three days. And these guys have to not kill each other, basically. Kurt Russell has with him, he's a bounty hunter who's bringing in a woman that's worth $10,000, a ton of money back then. He's bringing her to this town in Wyoming uh, so she can hang he doesn't want to kill her he doesn't bring back he doesn't bring back his prisoners dead he brings them back alive only it's something he prides himself on so he's got her in the cabin and he's got these uh, this group of scoundrels around him that he fears are going to try to kill her or kill him and take her for the money so It's this whole game of like cat and mouse through the entire movie, and it's a three-hour film. It's an epic, but it's like three hours of pure dialogue, which to you might sound absolutely hellish, but to me, I love it, man. I you can't beat Tarantino dialogue when it's at its best is fantastic, and uh, this this is some of the best dialogue he's ever written. And like I said, it's a stage play. It feels like a stage play. It's very. It's just a small ensemble of characters. Each one more interesting than the last, and they just talk the whole time on one set. It's really, really great if you like that kind of film. Now, if you don't, you're going to be bored bored as hell. If you want an action movie, if you want a film that's more like Django Unchained or more like Inglorious Bastards, you're going to hate this film because it's not like that. Like I said, it's more like reservoir dogs. It's a ton of talking, a little bit of flashback, a little nonlinear storytelling, but mostly it's told straight up, um, and it's just it's a ton of talking. The thing I loved about this movie was these characters were all so interesting, and each one of them you could it was up to you whether or not you wanted to believe what they had to say. Tarantino did not, does not hold your hand in this film. Each one of them gives you their background. And through the whole movie, you're like, do I believe any of them? Do I believe some of them? They could all be full of shit. Literally every one of them could be lying when you get down to it. There's only really – Kurt Russell's character really is the only one that I believed all the way through everything that he had to say. But everyone else I did not believe. And Kurt Russell's character, I didn't, you didn't really like very much. Because here he is. He's beating this woman up. He's saying disgusting things about her. I mean, these are all bad guys. It's an entire film of antagonists. Like, There's no one to root for. There's no one to side with in The Hateful Eight. Uh, but it's just, it's, it was so much fun to watch. I loved it. It was just a great exercise in screenwriting. And I could not believe, could not believe that the Academy did not nominate Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight or Aaron Sorkin's Steve Jobs for Best Screenplay. Those were, bar none, the two best screenplays written this year. I'm telling you right now, friends, writing is like the one thing that I I pay attention to the most when I'm watching a movie. And those were the two best screenplays of the year. Sorkin won the Golden Globe for Best Screenplay and didn't even get a nomination for this. So Steve Jobs and The Hateful Eight, those were the work of great writers, um, really some of the best work that either of those two writers Quentin Tarantino or Aaron Sorkin have done in their career I recommend The Hateful Eight highly if you like dialogue if you like acting and if you like stage drama if you don't like those kind of well and you have to like very foul language as well um, if you don't like those things you're not going to like it if you're looking for an action movie look elsewhere but The Hateful Eight right now is in theaters
0: oh and see you ain't got mixed emotions about bringing a woman to a rope by woman you mean her no I do not have mixed emotions. Get in. Ah! So you're taking in the Red Rock to hang? <laughs> you bet. You gonna wait around to watch it? Oh, you know I am. Come on. I want to hear her neck with my own two ears. Get up, boy. You never wait to
1: watch them hang?
0: My bounties never hang, because I never bring him in alive. Never? Never, ever. Ah, we talked about ah. this at Chattanooga. Bringing desperate men in alive is a good way to get yourself dead.
1: You can't catch me sleeping if I don't close my eyes. I don't want to work that hard. No one
0: said the job's supposed to be easy. No one said it's supposed to be that hard, neither.
1: All right, moving on, another film that was in theaters recently and right now is hitting DVD. It should be available on your pay-per-view if you have cable or um, you might be able to. I think you might be able to find it on DVD right now. Uh, I think it just came out. It's a movie called Grandma, and it uh, was directed and written by Paul Weitz, who did American Pie, Ants, and the Amazon Golden Globe-winning series Mozart in the Jungle. Um, This film starred Lily Tomlin, Julia Garner, and Marsha Gay Harden. Very good cast in this uh, little movie. This is one of these indie comedies. It looks like an indie. It feels like an indie. It's definitely an indie, um, but it had so much heart, and it was so funny. Uh, this, I, I really liked this movie a lot, and I liked it as I was watching it, and I liked it after it was over. Um, the The only disappointment I had in this movie was the fact that it was written and directed by a man. I wanted to see a woman's name when the credits came up. honestly, just because it was such like a feminist movie. And that's so weird, right? The two movies that I felt like were so most feminist in 2015 were Grandma and Mad Max Fury Road, which were both written and directed by men. So they might be fake feminist movies, but I don't know. I, I really love the messages in both of them. Grandma's this great little film, though, about uh, Lily Tomlin is the titular character. She's the grandmother of the young Julia Garner, who I had never seen in anything, but she's a, very, she's a young, up-and-coming actress. I think we're going to see her in a lot more stuff. She's got this great... Curly, blonde hair, she's just cute for the entire movie, but she's like a teenage girl. Lily Tomlin is her young ish grandmother, who was a famous poet back in her day, and Julia Garner's character goes to her with the the uh, news that she's pregnant by a boyfriend who's a total loser um and she wants to get rid of the baby. She wants to get an abortion, and she needs $600 to do so. Her grandmother doesn't have any money, but she thought maybe she did, so she goes to her, asking her for help. So grandma helps her out, and they go around in this kind of odyssey all around town trying to collect this $600 to get this procedure done, also all the while talking To each other, getting to know each other better, learning things about their own lives. It's really kind of like a tour through Grandma's life, and as she's trying to figure out who are the people that I know that owe me money and uh, that I could collect on, that I could hit up for favors because I did things for them back in the day. Um, And a lot of old wounds are opened back up again. We get to see those. Uh, but also some wounds are closed as well, and it's it was just a it's just a good movie about life and about relationships, and especially a relationship between a grandmother and her granddaughter, a non traditional relationship. Lily Tomlin's character is like the grandma that everybody wishes they had. She's so non judgmental, and just she's just like a badass. Um, and, and I mean, she she really loves her granddaughter, and she wants to defend her honor, and she wants to really make sure she does the right thing, and it's it's just. There's no malice in this film. This movie, you might think a movie about two characters. The the entire point of the movie is to go get an abortion. You might think, well, this is just like some liberal Hollywood BS. But that's not really what it's about. This movie has so much heart and soul, and it, it was just it was so funny and sweet, and I I loved it. I really liked Grandma a lot, and and Marsha Gay Harden was good as well um, as the mother kind of wedged between these two characters. Neither of them, both of them, are scared of her. Her own mother's scared of her, and her own daughter's scared of her because she's become this successful businesswoman. She's kind of a hard-ass, uh, Very lives a very structured life, and it's, just, it's interesting character dynamics, and I really enjoyed it. And it was a quick watch. It's like 80 minutes long, and it doesn't feel rushed and it doesn't feel too long if anything i wanted it to go longer but i think it was a perfect length and i i really enjoyed grandma a lot i i i liked it and i would give it a good recommendation i think it's funny if you want to uh if you're kind of looking for a movie to watch maybe with uh i don't know your own family or uh with uh some of your your friends or something especially if you're if you're a woman and you want to watch a movie with your friends grandma could be a very good choice i think you'd all uh relate to it and have fun watching it so that right now uh, has just come out of theaters and is available uh, on pay-per-view and it's actually coming to netflix on february 9th it'll be available on amazon and netflix uh red and everybody else on february 9th according to what i read online it's called grandma well, who is this it's
0: my grandma half give us half the money
1: yo grandma what you what you doing here
0: you know you're gonna have to take responsibility for this too how do i know it was me what you heard me
1: i didn't sleep with anyone else
0: Sub Mike.
1: Yeah, like a year ago, and
0: we used a condom. Yeah, why didn't you use a condom? Or for humanity's sake, get a vasectomy. What? What did she just say? She didn't say anything, okay? Look, she said it wasn't her time. Oh, yeah. Her time? What are you, a moron? What are you, both morons? Don't they teach kids sex ed anymore? Listen, Grammy, you better watch yourself. Look at this sorry-ass loser. Some people should not grow beards. Your face looks like an armpit.
1: Last movie I want to give a full kind of exhaustive review of here on the Stream Police this week, just because I don't want to beat you guys over the head too much with too much stuff. Uh, It was an animated film that's up for uh, Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards this year. Um, An interesting-looking stop animation movie called Anomalisa, directed by Duke Johnson who had a hand in doing the uh show on comedy uh, I'm sorry on Cartoon Network that I used to really enjoy called Moral Oral um and also Charlie Kaufman uh, co-directed this he is the really brilliant genius and very strange mind behind some of the most interesting movies come to come out of Hollywood in the last like 15 years. Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Being John Malkovich, Synecdoche, New York, uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. I own them all and I like most of them, uh, and Coffin also wrote the screenplay. That is really what he's best at. Uh, this movie starred David Thewlis, who used to act in the Harry Potter movies, and Jennifer Jason Lee once again, uh, in the, did voices in this movie. Anomalisa was, like I said, a stop-frame animation movie about a guy played by David Thewlis who was a successful um, author and like a self help i don 't know like business guru kind of guy who goes around the country giving speeches and in the film he lands in my beloved Cincinnati, and Cincinnati really is kind of made into a character in this movie. The whole movie takes place in Cincinnati um, he lands in cincinnati he 's just he 's basically just like this morose, just sad figure he you can tell he just doesn 't enjoy anything about his life. he gets to the hotel calls his wife, uh, says he's going to make it an early night, and he's going to get up tomorrow and do his speech that he has to do in front of these business leaders that have paid to come see him. But what ends up happening is uh, he calls an ex-girlfriend that he used to know when uh, he was in Cincinnati before and uh, opens some wounds there, and then he runs into uh, a woman named Lisa, who Jennifer Jason Lee does the voice of, and she sounds and looks literally unlike anyone else in the world, and he is completely smitten by her in the snap of a finger. The way this movie was animated, I, I feel like I feel like the way they animated it, um, you would look at it and go, well, this could have been shot as a movie because it was stop frame animation. So it does look, you know, it, it's, it's the, the kind of animation that they did like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer special back in the day. You know, it, it's got that look to it, but it looks way better than that. Um, and it's got kind of a Team America look to it as well, especially during the sex scene sometimes, but it's much more serious. Um, but they couldn't have done it as a regular movie because of the choices that they made and how the characters look. Now, in this movie, every character, other than Michael, the lead, and Lisa, the co-lead, every character is voiced by the same guy. So it's this man's voice. He doesn't try to do a, a female voice when he's doing a female. He doesn't try to lower his voice when he's doing a man. It's the same flat voice for every single character in the movie other than these two. And the model of the puppet for every character looks exactly the same. They all look the same. They just have different hair, different clothes, but their faces are exactly the same. So it's essentially the whole world is like the same person to Michael. And really it makes him like an arrogant prick. He doesn't, He sees everyone as the same. He thinks they're all interchangeable until he meets Lisa and she stands out from the entire crowd. She's got a totally different voice. She looks different. She's very insecure about herself, though. And this is one of the fundamental flaws of Anomalisa. I really, I didn't like this movie so much. It was, I found it kind of boring. I thought it took itself very seriously, and it, its character was its lead character was just unlikable. And really, Lisa wasn't that likable either, because she was played as kind of a moron, honestly. she th- This movie was not very flattering to its female characters. It didn't make any of them look very good. And it really didn't make its lead look very good either, so I had a hard time rooting for him, because as I said, I kind of felt like he had his head stuck up his own ass the entire time, and he thought he was this great man. Um, and, and basically, nobody else in the world deserved respect but himself, so i didn 't connect with anomaly said i didn 't really enjoy it so much, but the look of it was was fantastic. it was outstanding. I think it was an achievement of animation, um, and I think you know it's it 's very much an adult cartoon, not like an adult brown bag buy it at the triple X store cartoon, but an adult cartoon with mature themes about life um, uh, really a, about a midlife crisis uh it's it's kind of existential i mean it's it's really got it's about some weighty things that we all think about from time to time but i just felt the movie was ve- it was very slow as well i found myself getting bored a lot watching this one in theaters we've just got a lot of long takes of michael pacing around his hotel room and he's on the phone and he's tapping his fingers and it's one camera angle the whole time and Oh, here he is flipping the TV on, and oh, well, he's flipping the TV off now, and he's picking the menu up for the room service, and he's calling up, and we get the entire call of him ordering. It's just, it's like really too mundane sometimes, Um, and it's, I know that's like slice-of-life cinema, and that's really what this was. It was like a slice-of-life cartoon, but I didn't enjoy the characters, so it made it hard for me to bear with it. So Lisa right now is in theaters. You're going to be hearing a lot about it, I think, and... You'll see, it, uh, you'll, you'll see clips of it at the Oscars in the Best Animated Film category. Uh, but, you know, if you want to see a Charlie Kaufman movie that's really good, go watch Adaptation. Go watch Eternal Sunshine or go watch Being John Malkovich. Those are the masterpieces of his career so far. He's probably got some more in him, but I don't think Anomalisa is it. Hi. Oh, my God.
0: It's you. Hi. I'm sorry to bother
1: you. No, no, not, not at all. I do, uh, do you want to come in there? Um, I was just looking for someone. Uh, I I think I've got the wrong... Who's there, Em? It's Mr. Stone.
0: Michael Stone.
1: Really? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Hello? Oh, do I look awful? I was just taking my makeup off. Oh, my God. Ugh, Don't, don't look at me. Hello? No, you look lovely. I can't believe you're in our room. We came here from Akron just to hear you speak. Oh, my God. Please don't look at me. Well, I'm certainly very flattered. You can look at me. Emily. A couple other movies that I have seen recently that I just really quickly wanted to give you a synopsis on. um, Love and Mercy. This was the biopic of the Beach Boys' Brian Wilson. Um, And this movie was well acted. And it was a story that I felt like deserved to be told the right way. And it was told the right way. It was told with care and it was told with respect for Brian Wilson. Um, and I really, I, I've always been a big fan of Brian Wilson. Andy and I have talked a lot about him and have talked a lot about Pet Sounds, especially from the Beach Boys, and this movie, a good chunk of it is about the making of, of Pet Sounds. But I learned things about Brian Wilson that changed my thinking on him. I, really, I I really did. I always had like kind of a one-dimensional view of what happened to Brian Wilson mentally after Pet Sounds and and during the making of that album. And I I came away with kind of a, a more well-rounded thinking process on this really one of the great songwriters of all time. So I was already a fan of Brian Wilson, and the movie made me more of a fan of Brian Wilson. It was kind of a triumphant film as well. So I enjoyed Love and Mercy. That right now is uh, available on DVD. You can check it out. Um, And another movie I saw recently that is uh, currently in theaters, small film called Youth. Very artsy, very existential in its subject matter, but a gorgeous film with a couple of very good performances from legendary actors Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel. If you like to watch the old guys, um, really still giving it hell and, and doing great work, and if you're a big Michael Caine fan, you got to watch Youth because he's really good in this film. And, you know, i I got to say that this year, for as disappointing as some may say it's been for black actors, even though I think this has been a pretty good year for black actors as well and black films, it's been great this year to see so many older actors getting to lead movies this year. Like Lily Tomlin, as I talked about in Grandma, she's she's fantastic in this film. Uh, she leads the movie. Michael Caine and Harvey Keitel, they're both older than hell. They would play grandfathers in movies. Or like the wise mentor, as Michael Caine always is typecast as. They're leading this movie as well-rounded, three-dimensional characters. It's really cool to see Charlotte Rampling in 45 years doing uh, Oscar-nominated work. You know, and as an older actress, it's just really—it's cool to see. Glad to see older actors getting to lead movies this year. It's been a very good year for older actors. Um, Now, if we can do the same uh, for black actors, that would be fantastic. But uh, you know, one step at a time. Uh, But Youth right now is uh, you know floating around out there, and as I said, it's—if you like art films, definitely check it out. And if you like Michael Caine watch it but uh, I, I didn't love the movie I did think that it was also hard to engage with it, it kind of kept you distant at times but it, what a gorgeous looking movie um, and Paul Dano it's weird was actually in both of those movies that I just talked about I just have to wonder if he'll ever get nominated for an Oscar I don't, I don't know what the problem is Dano has really he's done nothing but do great performances in really good movies but he's just never gotten any love from the Academy so I hope one day it'll happen for Paul Dano All right, I'm going to call it a night here and sign off again for a couple weeks. We'll be back on the Stream Police next time to sift again through the media wasteland. Talk a little bit more about the Oscars coming up. On the next edition of the show, and uh, I'll, as as always, tell you about some more shows and movies that I have been checking out. If you want to read a full review of The Big Short uh, that I wrote on our website, go read it right now. Rather than just reading it for you here, I'll urge you to go to the website, OverdueReview.com, The Big Short. It should be there on the homepage. If not, just search for it, and you can read my full thoughts on that Oscar-nominated film for 2015. All right, I'm Clint Davis, movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. I want to thank uh, Andy Sedlak again for checking in with his uh, music thoughts. He's our music editor over there at the website. Follow us on Twitter at Overdue underscore Review and email me anytime at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Thank you so much for uh, checking us out here, friends. Give us a five-star review and tell your friends about The Stream Police.